Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. I'm Kate Gilbert, head of school here for K through 12. I'm here with Megan Muller. I am head of marketing, marketing and communications. I'm John Mark Reynolds. I'm the president. And I think it's fun that we are welcoming people to a city, a uh, city of ideas. I am Robert Stacy, the provost here at St. Constantine. Mm-hmm. Today, I thought it would be fun to think about the parts of education that I viewed as fun when I was in school, but they kind of treated it as if they were just for fun. It wasn't as important as other subjects. In my case, that would have been art or music, both of which I enjoyed right up through eighth grade. They were part of the curriculum. And then somewhere around eighth grade, they disappeared in the school I was at, not putting that down particularly, funding, all that sort of thing. I've noticed here, both in the kindergarten all the way through the college, we seem to care about those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Is that because we have too much time in our hands, too much money? Why should art be treated as carefully as the STEM things that lead to jobs, I'm told, when I read online? This was something that we thought a lot about when building our curriculum, and we actually designed our school week around it so that we would have enough time for art and music. And I was just talking to our high schoolers this morning, many of whom are taking their very first art class today for the school year, and we have a lot of new high schoolers. I must have had three conversations, I think, this morning that went along these lines. Do I have to take art? Yes, yes, you do. (laughs) Aw, but why? I'm not an artist. Well, too bad for you. So uh, I went in there and um, told them something that actually, Dr. Reynolds, you've told me before, which is that art and music are ways in which we learn new languages, that we interact with the world, that we understand in different ways than we would if we didn't know them. And at this school, we don't treat them like a hobby that a particular artist, like our friend Will, who's doing this podcast with us, is a great artist. But you don't have to be a great artist in order to take art class and to participate in them well. I think your point is right. You're not just learning a hobby for later in life. Mm -hmm. Though it's certainly true Mm -hmm. that a great man like Winston Churchill painted, wasn't a great painter. Oddly, his paintings are worth a lot because it's Winston Churchill. I actually think that probably Churchill was a great communicator, even in the English language, partly because he expanded his mind, he expanded his thinking by maybe not being a great painter, but adding that vocabulary to what he had to say. It's a little bit like listening to a movie being described by the person who made it, and sometimes they don't even understand what they did, and that's too bad. I think a movie maker would be better off if they knew the history of color, for example. Man, purple just works here in this scene of royalty. And they don't seem to realize that they're picking up on a theme from literature, from history, from that sort of thing. So I think it would help the artist to do STEM, to do some of the other things, even if they don't end up doing it for a living. Megan, you do a lot of work. I know this is a strange thing. you have so many talents, but one of them, I know people wait for your fashion critique at the end of a runway. No, I do. Uh, okay, Bob. No, you don't, as a matter of fact. So how does that, is that part of a vocabulary, even clothing? Yeah, I think there's something about using our bodies that art and music in particular force for people who maybe aren't necessarily comfortable with that. We expect in schools there to be a robust sports program but parents are often reticent to enroll their students in music and the arts because they aren't seeing the practical application but 
without understanding that there's a there's a level of force and finesse that you have to learn to be a human that is able to function well in the world, to truly know yourself, to know how to use your body. When I think about the people who become hand surgeons, why not become a very, very excellent portrait painter? Why not learn the small, minuscule adjustments the careful precision of both sight and then implementation that's required in order to practice those arts well. It's the same thing with music. There's a physical manifestation of these arts that I think is what intimidates students who want to leave art class. It's because they haven't developed those skills mm -hmm. that they say, I'm not a good artist. I don't want to take this class. Can I please go kick a soccer ball? Now, if you're comfortable with sports, Great. Sports are also really important. They develop your body, yes. they develop your mind, yes. they develop sure. stamina and you know mental toughness and all, all things that you also are able to use as an adult in many ways. But I think that music and the arts both provide those things. And just the fact that it, it for most students, for a lot of students in Texas, and I think a lot of students in general, that it pushes them outside of their comfort zone in order to become more fully capable humans. Uh, there's so much value in that. You have to appreciate aesthetics because if someone says they're not a good artist, it's because they identify what I make is not as good as other things that are out there. We have a lot of kids who come in sort of like moral relativists who right. aren't willing to say, you know, well, you think this pile of garbage is art, so you think it's beautiful, then it is beautiful, but they're willing to acknowledge in themselves a deficit because they do acknowledge beauty and they don't feel like they're measuring up to it. But anything that we can get students to do that pushes them further toward participating in creating beauty while becoming more capable humans. I bet someone who is able to play an instrument with dexterity and think quickly and have their body respond quickly would become a very excellent hand surgeon or a, right. you know, a robotics engineer. There are ways that these skills manifest themselves outside of the aesthetic world that I think parents and students sometimes aren't thinking about. Well, in fact, we know this isn't why we do it, but we know that, in fact, people who are involved in the arts, who are involved in music, do better in the very STEM areas that we're talking about that seem so practical. If you want to get super practical, maybe more practical than you should be, it helps your SAT scores. It helps everything mm -hmm. you do cognitively, uh, every kind of test you're going to take. Yet, oddly, we don't do that. You'd be much better off having your kid take an instrument through the years, learning something like oboe, even to pay for school. An average oboe player can often get a full ride to college because there are so few oboe players. But you also would find that the discipline of playing the oboe would help you in all these practical areas, according to all research. I'd like to, in a way, forget about that, though, right. and say this. I think it's Paul Johnson, and Bob, I'll throw this to you in a second because you use a lot of Paul Johnson in our teaching here, who wrote in his book, Birth of the Modern, about a very horrible split that occurred. For a long period of time, artists and scientists worked together in fields like visual mm -hmm. physics. Mm -hmm. And the artists and the philosophers and the scientists all talked together. They met at smart person clubs, and it was wonderful. What happened, of course, and it's not bad, is that each area became more and more specialized as knowledge developed, and there's a point where they actually couldn't talk to each other anymore. There's a party where they all get together, and uh, I don't understand you anymore. You're not helping me push out in my field. That's okay, but notice when we stop talking to each other, 
that caused the scientists to fall into this weird scientism where science will solve all our problems yes. and they become very inhuman. And I hate to say this, but the humanities have become a little crazy. If you go to a humanities department, they're often completely detached from reality. I think the more extreme cases people know about, and I don't want even to use those as an example, they're just not grounded in the scientific world. They don't know what's going on. Bob, do you see any of that in history? Well, absolutely. We live in the age of the fact-value dichotomy. And this is the problem, I think, that science has become the, you know, the shepherd of the facts. And everything else, it's mere discardable, opinionated value. And so the arts have been relegated to this other half of the spectrum where they don't get to produce knowledge. You know, they don't get to produce anything of real substance. They can only produce values and opinions, which is a false dichotomy. I mean, we know this, but, uh, but you see the fingerprints of it everywhere. My, my friend, uh, the late Peter Lawler, who passed just a few months ago, used to say that the arts are a way of knowing. It's just a different way of knowing. Right. In fact, some knowledge is only accessible through the arts. And to the degree we sort of create this false dichotomy, we're actually cutting ourselves off from certain kinds of knowledge, which is very problematic. We end up with people who might be able to fix something or create something, either in the arts or in science, but they're inhuman. They're unable to relate to people as they are. They either relate to people as they wish they were or people reduced to the sum of their parts. And this is exceedingly dangerous. I'm curious if any of you see this problem in students and have seen even over the year we've been doing this. And I know uh, prior to this, we've worked together in different projects. Have we seen anybody overcome this? What does it look like when a student overcomes these problems? So let's get to the positive. What does it look like when a student is whole? They play a little bit of music. They make some art. You know, they're not going to sell any of that. But then they do some science. They do some real scientific method science. What does that look like when we start putting it all together? Big book discussion. I think it looks like somebody who is so interested in the world that they're willing to try things. And so that's the major difference I see in students who have kind of bought in and are on board with what we're doing. You throw them in choir or an art class and they're like, all right, we're doing this. We're figuring it out. We're learning how to sing. And they can sort of access a part of themselves that finds an interest in that. Where oftentimes, especially when we get students who aren't used to being given these kind of opportunities or being treated in this way, they're very hesitant and they're very narrow about what they think is interesting. I think they manifest it in the way they talk about themselves. Hmm. If they say, I'm a math person yeah. or I'm a poetry person or can I just put in my headphones because I'm a music person, they want to pigeonhole themselves because they find safety in that identity. It's the way that they communicate what Kate is saying to us. When they talk about the way they feel about themselves and who they are, if a student is unwilling to categorize themselves that quickly, I think it's because they have a willingness to explore and experience, not necessarily because they have talent in every area, but because they know that there is value in taking risks mm -hmm. and exploring those areas. And they're interested they recognize that these areas that maybe they're not immediately drawn to have value yeah. in and of themselves. And aren't they happier people? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always been my observation. Yeah. They're right. happier people. Yeah. Well, I want to underline something. Yes, we want to prepare people for the workplace. A big chunk of school in the United States is we've taken on the job of getting people ready for getting jobs. And that's great. We're going to do that. We do that. But after all, we don't just live for work. 
some of our time, I don't care if you were a farmer in West Virginia back when my grandfather was around, some of your time is on Sunday when you're worshiping in church. It's during that Sabbath day of rest when you're with your family looking for something to do. The other thing we want to help people to do is play well, use the rest of their life well. And of course, as we become a more affluent society, For many Americans, using their leisure time, their time off, Mm -hmm. the time they're not at work, hasn't gone real well. I recently saw something like people could read an unconscionable number of books if they use social media less often and took some of that time and read a novel. One of our teachers, Mr. Yee, did this very thing this summer. He took a week off of, I think, maybe one social media app. And every time he went to look at Twitter, he read A Tale of Two Cities instead. Wow. And he read it in less than a week. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, evidently that's true. We don't even have to for a moment. We're not against social media. I'm a little against Okay, so yeah, somebody wants to be. But what we want are well-rounded people. People who are well-rounded are more fun if you've ever gone to dinner with somebody who only has one interest. So I really like the Packers. Football season, when we happen to be recording this, is about to start. They played a couple of preseason games. But lots of people that I meet aren't interested in the Packers. So it's good that I have something else to talk about, that my life isn't all about Packer football, just as I'm really interested in Plato or I like to read novels. And those two are things that lots of people don't like to talk about. So in some ways, if you want to be a friend, if you want to have lots of friends, if you want to get along with people, some of this is just the more interest you have, the more fun you get to have with the people in your church around you in your neighborhood, but maybe people don't hang with people anymore. And so I'm being like hopelessly old fashioned. Well, I also think there's a difference in qualities of leisure. I don't know if you've ever spent an afternoon in a way that felt, I'm sure you have, it's totally wasteful. No, I have, yeah. I have done that. And it's very different than an afternoon spent in a hobby that brings meaning to your life. So even if music becomes something like just a hobby for someone, my 90, I think she's going to turn 95-year-old grandmother plays the piano every day. That brings meaning to her life. That's a very simple life these days. But she can still do that, and it brings a richness that she wouldn't otherwise have. Well, I I actually am going to pick on something. I pretty much never play my favorite kind of video game. I play during Christmas break. I really like civilization building games. Some people say they're like jobs, only you get more (laughs) rewards from playing them. But I discovered one day I got up in the morning and I spent an entire Saturday a total waste and a kind of sin. I have lots of things I like to do. I have lots of people I like to hang with. I need more exercise than I get. And what did I do? I I had, I think, Byzantium conquer the entire known world on this (laughs) fake map. and, And there's nothing really done there. Now, I suppose if you were resting or it was a holiday, that might be good to do or okay to do once in a while. The residue of that was, man, other than just the rest itself, I'm carrying nothing away. If I had gone out in the garden and worked with Hope or I had done anything else, almost anything else, worked on my novel, which I enjoy doing, I don't have to do it for my job, Mm -hmm. I would have accomplished something at the end of it. So I feel like I, I kind of put those games away. And I only look at them during the Christmas holidays. Yeah. So much of our lives that we're devoted to that sort of thing now. It's not, you know, what does television do for you? Yes, that's a good uh, point. Gosh, I remember in graduate school watching a hour-long, very special episode of Blossom. <laughs> ruined an hour of my life. What uh, was it on? I don't it, remember. It's always going to be bad, though. Whatever value Blossom had, 
the very special episode of is always going to be the one on like drug use. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not funny. It's not a little message at the end of it. I hate those. But you know, the apps we use on our phone, so many of those things just, they occupy our time, but they produce nothing. Well, they're actually called time wasters often inside the industry because that's what you're trying to help people do. So the other thing I've been trying to do, Kate, is when I'm standing in line or even in the car with Hope, I try not to just pick up my phone and time waste. Mm -hmm. And I think of it not as time wasting, but multitasking. But look, I'm sitting in the car with the Ferris flower and all of Christendom. We could talk. And so we're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect at that yet. It's very hard if you're an information junkie like I am. It isn't so much time waster games. It's more, I now know the voting tendencies of every district in Virginia because there's a Senate race coming. Mm -hmm. Come on, I don't need to know that. I think it's also, we see it, uh, you know, we just started another school year, our second school year. And uh, you see it in the students because they, uh, the loss of their cell phone usage. We don't yeah. allow students right, to use their right. cell phones unless they're standing in front of the front desk in the office area, <laughs> uh, which makes it far less cool to do. They see it as a privation. We're depriving them. Yeah. We're sort of creating this Spartan existence at school where they have to only do the things that we say they can do, and right. that does not include whatever it is they're doing with their cell phones. We don't let them listen to music on headphones. For some of them, it's like, wow, I can't believe they're so they're so hard on us. You know, they won't let us do these things. But it's not that we're trying to limit them. We're trying to help them not limit themselves. Yeah, no, this is actually help I needed because I love information and I love just streams of information. And so in some ways, I have to work with hope all the time to keep from just binging on all the information that's now available to me. I'm not tempted to do particularly time-wasting or harmful things. But look, I could read another book about circus fires because it's infinite. But it doesn't have anything to do with my job or life. There's an infinite supply of books about circus fires? Uh, There are lots of books about circus fires. And somewhere around two or three, you've read enough books. I would think so, yes. What's infinite, I think, though, really is the beauty that the arts can focus us on and introduce us to. That's limitless, right? An interesting person has access to that. That is absolutely true. I think we build in ourselves a capacity for enjoyment and appreciation when we study the arts. So what Um, are we all doing to do that? Anybody here willing to say, this year I'm trying? So I have very seriously considered just joining class. Like just jumping Mm -hmm. right in with our high schoolers. Megan teaches an algebra class that it's probably about where I should go back to math and remind myself of how to do it well. I don't want to think of where I would have to go back to math. (laughs) For the exact same reason. There's an appreciation and understanding of the world that you have if you know how to do math and you you understand it um, that we are trying to um, cultivate in our students. And so I want to cultivate it in myself too. Um, my sister went back to piano lessons last year after Fantastic. a 15-year hiatus, um, and it's been so neat to see, because uh, when you're an adult, you actually can get good at things fairly quickly, and so it's like picking those skills back up. Um, she's really, like, really encouraged me to do the same. I don't know if I have the time for piano lessons this year, but uh, hope, I may just is, jump in on some classes. Hope is going to teach me trombone. Hmm. One nice thing about the era we live in is there are lots of awesome, this will sound very strange, but plastic instruments. There's a kind of plastic now that gives decent sound. You know, not, not the kind that Hope gets from her hugely expensive, beautiful trumpet, 
but good enough. I, someone like I am can't tell the difference. That's how good it is. And so she was able to get some of us inexpensive but plausible instruments to learn on. And so one goal I have this year is to learn to play hymns mm-hmm. on the trombone, get to the point where I could pick up a hymnal, which again dates me, uh, and play through some basic hymns. I like this question because I probably need to do something new. Um, I my uh, my participation in the arts is fiber arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I crochet. You're really good I at crochet it. quite a bit, um, and it it does a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, crocheting patterns, complex ones are it's like math. It's there's precision, there's counting, there's uh, you have to pay attention. It's like a code that you read. It's like a puzzle you solve, and at the end you have a sweater. It's the greatest. Um, I'm the sort of person who likes to do logic puzzles and things like that. And those are fun and you know brain teasing sort of, but they don't produce anything. And I'm trying to find ways to cut down on consumption and actually create. Yeah. And so crocheting is really good for that. If you're the sort of person who likes puzzling, if you happen to like clothing, it's an added bonus. It makes me appreciate garment construction and craftsmanship. And that's something that, that it brings a lot of meaning to my life. Bob? Uh, I know scouting is a big thing you've done, which is what every activity under the sun. <laughs> One of everything. <laughs> right. and then, yeah, go back to some others over and over again. Uh, you referenced Paul Johnson, though. Um, when I'm teaching my American history class, uh, one of the beauties of that book is that he he doesn't forget that any culture is largely defined by its artistic influences and, mm. and what it produces in that vein. That's right. And so we get to think about that this year in terms of, of American culture mm. and you know whether it's the rise of jazz or you know the American school of painting. I just there's some great things there that we can sort of think about together. Yeah, I had a friend once who said that if the United States was was swept away as kind of prestigious person, what would be left would be our Nobel Prize winners in science, Mm -hmm. some real advances that Americans have made, Abraham Lincoln (laughs) and the Constitution, you know, the people who produced the Constitution. And he said animation and jazz, Mm. that those are our great contributions that would endure. Now, I I love that kind of list because the minute I say all of that, each one of you are thinking about something else. But maybe we should conclude by poking at people a little bit and saying, are you contributing beauty? Are you contributing to something Mm -hmm. so that when you die, here's what people are discovering. People don't want people's junk anymore. You used to inherit your parents' furniture, your grandparents' furniture, because people are living longer. We now have people about my age sizing down. All my kids are grown and I'm sizing down, but my parents are still alive. They're sizing down a little bit. And the truth is, Um, People my kids age, they don't want our furniture. They don't want furniture from my parents generation particularly But here's what they do want: all my kids want my books that have all my little notes in them Mm -hmm. They want the art I produced, you know that I wrote a novel uh, While they were growing up I'm working on another novel uh, and you don't even have to publish these things Uh, What are you producing that your kids might actually want some Mm -hmm. beautiful, you know? textiles that you've made I think that's really what it's going to be about. They don't want our junk. They don't want our tchotchkes or our furniture. They want things that are a part of us. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you all for joining ourselves today (laughs) to have this conversation. I enjoy us. Um, I think this is the uh, first one we've done in a year and a half. It's happening. The but wheels hopefully, are turning. Hopefully, we will be back together quite what, soon. What is the plan for those who actually uh, enjoyed us when we talked on another podcast and now came to Constantinople and thought, they're back, and then we disappeared again? What's the goal for this year? It's a new year, and it's a new, it's not a new us, but we're going <laughs> to put ourselves out there more. So you should be uh, 
hearing from uh, from this school in various capacities about twice a week. Great. I'll be in the Fantastic. world of podcasting. All right, and if you want to learn more about the St. Constantine School and our K through college program, you can go to stconstantine.org. Great. Thanks for listening.